0: Welcome to the Unhooked podcast hosted by author, writer, and recovery advocate, Annie Highwater. This is a podcast of real conversations and true stories from those who have been impacted by and overcome personal adversities, including your host. The goal of the Unhooked podcast is to take a deep and hopeful look into the experiences related to addiction, alcoholism, grief, mental and emotional health, family dysfunction, codependency, conflict, and other types of personal struggle. The good, the bad, the traumatic, the real areas of life that all of us face. You will hear wisdom from people who fought to persevere through pain, circumstances, and are doing the work to recover. You can contact Annie by emailing annieunhooked at gmail.com. And now, enjoy the show.
1: Welcome back, everyone. I just wanted to do a brief recovery podcast. A lot of times people don't have any concept of what support groups are like or what the rooms are like. That's what we call them when you find a room that fits you and your family situation. I know I personally had a wrong impression of what support rooms and conversations and the people that went to them were like until I plunged in on my own and I've never looked back. I've met some of the finest, most successful, intelligent, wonderful people in those rooms, and they've truly become like family to me. So that said, I have invited two people to, who have been on the podcast before to return and just touch on a couple of subjects because I trust their input. They've been there and they've been encouraging and mentored me in my own recovery process. I look forward to speaking with them each week. One of them I would consider my own personal sponsor. Um, so I just wanted to get their input and cover a couple of topics. I didn't so much want to to make it quarantine based only because this time is going to pass and this time is really similar to what you deal with when you've got addiction in your family living day to day not knowing what your enemy is going to look like it shows up in different one way and different the next you have to handle it different all the time so I wanted to make a podcast that would apply recovery concepts to when your life becomes strange stressful and you have times of separation. So with that said, welcome back, Ruth and Beau, and let's just go ahead and get started. Hello, how are you Good.
0: I'm fine, thanks.
1: <laughs> okay, good, you're both here. So if we could just like kind of pick apart the topics like we do in the rooms and give people Somewhat of an experience of what if they've never been in the rooms before what a topic meeting would be like um, and cover Those three areas and then kind of end on hope and positivity like I think we try to do Um, So when things are strange Say you have a loved one that's dysfunctional or addicted and things just don't make sense. They're uncertain. They're weird We know the drama that rises up. I don't know if you have any experience strength or hope to share about that
0: you first <laughs>
2: lady. <Ladies. laughs> well, you know, um, yeah, I have, I have years and years of experience dealing with having loved ones that, um, are addicted and, uh, eventually they, you know, they do come into recovery and then I've had family members relapse and come back and some relapse and not come back. So, um, so what the topic is like what what to do when things get strange or where right. do we, okay so for me personally um, my experience has been that um, disease of addiction and alcoholism are it's family a family disease and that I suffer from um, I suffer from the disease too I you know I don't use drugs or drink but I'm that other, I'm the counterpart of those people that I love. I, I can, can contribute or um, get better myself, come into recovery myself. I, I was around the program for years and years, and um, it took me years to finally get it and surrender to the God of my understanding and come in to you know, the program as we call it in my own recovery and I can remember at one time early on in my as they say my journey and somebody in the program said to me you're on your journey now and I and it was it it really is recovery really is a journey because you're walking um blindly I guess you know I heard somebody say they asked Bill Wilson so what it So what do you are, there are no experts in there. So what is it like the blind leading the blind? And his comment was, well, it's like the partially blind leading the blind. And why does that work? And how does that work? It's because um, we all have to come to our own surrender and our own relationship with the God of our understanding, you know, and there, and this is a program of suggestions. There are no rules there's no denomination. We don't, you know, just surrendering to the God of our understanding. And so, you know, you come in and you pick someone who, who can be your guide. And um, as, as Bill Wilson said, they're, they're partially blind. You're blind. They're partially blind. but With both of you surrendering to the God of your understanding, you get better. And And it's true that if one person... And the family situation improves. The family situation is bound to improve, and it doesn't say that the person has to be young, old, you know, uh, educated, uneducated. Doesn't say anything. There are no qualifiers for that person. But if one person gets better, the family situation is bound to improve. So um, that's been my experience, and and my friend here said something to me earlier today that I would like to hear him share again about, um, how he keeps keeping our eyes on, um,
0: our understanding. I I can, I I want to get back to the the first question asked in terms of what people which, which, which what people should expect if they decided they wanted to come into the rooms for a while. And I was not a willing participant at first. Um, It took me a while to warm up to the ideas. I'm amazed how that happened because I didn't think I was that open-minded. But I think it just came to me at the right time. I'd say I call that my higher power doing for me what I could not do for myself. But it's a safe place to be. But it really gives an opportunity to take things that are flying around in my head and put them out there in the air. Because one thing I've discovered about myself over these years is that things sound like really good ideas between my ears, but when I put them out there, I, I, I kind of give it one of these, did I really just say that? Is that, that's not, that's not how I meant it. You know, that sort of thing. So I, I think it's it's great to have a safe place to talk because um, even your good friends, if they don't, if they're not going through this experience themselves, no one out there, I mean, in the day-to-day mundane world really knows what any of us are going through. So it, it's, 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 it's important to find your like, simply because it can become like fighting a battle on two fronts. You know, you've got people whispering in your ear that really don't understand. And then, of course, you've got the problem itself, however that manifests itself. For me, it was an addicted. It was one of my children being addicted to uh, narcotics.
1: I read a quote today that says, no one sees what you see, even if they see it. And I thought that relates so well to what you feel and go through when you have an addicted child. I mean, and we do, I think, hold each other up and it's a completely different thing for those of us who have experienced and we tend to get it. And I think that's why we bond so well, but really nobody sees and feels what you see exactly.
0: Well, and, and I think, and I think that is the tip of the iceberg when it comes to trying to understand why families can be so dysfunctional at times, because I think the, the presupposition is that you do know each other really well. And I would argue that that's not necessarily the case. And it's got nothing to do with loving my family. It's that I've never sat down and had truly spiritual, in-depth, soulful conversation with my brothers and sisters, even though I love them very much.
1: Ruth over Ruth here, over,
0: go ahead. Ruth over here, my wife, uh, You know, knows me probably better than anybody because she's sat in the rooms with me for all these years. And you know, we go in there to discuss things that we can't discuss anywhere else. You know, what's kind of humorous is after hearing all this from both of us, we still wanted to see each other.
1: <laughs> yeah, you guys met in the rooms. Is that right?
0: Yes, we did. Yes, yes we did.
1: I was thinking also um what, go, to go back to what you were just saying, how you I've heard you say in the rooms before, because we attend the same meetings and um have gotten to know each other for the past several years. You've talked about how you didn't know the people that lived just down the hallway from you growing up in the same household, but that everyone has a different experience. And I'd actually heard a trauma psychologist, Dr. Gabor Mate, talk about how you can have four siblings raised by two parents, but the parents are not the same parents for each one. No pregnancy is the same. They're not going through the same situations and each person has a different personality, makeup and sensitivity level. And you've mentioned that so many times that I think that that's something we don't even
0: realize. And I think it applies in a a lot of different ways. I mean, everyone's also got a fingerprint, but no two are alike. Uh, I I just think there's certain assumptions we make because me and my siblings came from the same flesh and blood, which is true. But we didn't hang out with each other. You know, siblings don't hang out with each other for the most part. They have their own friends and, and stuff like that. That's not to say one of my... You know, I'm very close. I'm at different levels of closeness to each of them, too, and that's got nothing to do with like and dislike. It's, it's really just how the relationships have evolved within the family structure. But I, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding in family structure uh, that we never give thought to. And I think a problem like, you know, you were dealing with here in, in terms of addiction and recovery uh, really, really uh, brings that problem to light because you hear it all the time when you hear, you know, a husband or a wife say, well, we're just not on the same page. When what I believe it is is nobody's on the same page.
1: No, nobody Nobody is.
0: is On the same page might be, you know, where the problem originates rather than getting frustrated because you can't do it.
1: And what is it you always say about family members at the holidays? Because I love that when you talk about how it's always a great idea to throw everyone with these personalities into one room for an extended length of time.
0: Well, and you know what it is? It's it's (laughs) well, you know, what's funny is I think when the holidays roll around and you see this in the rooms every year. You'll always get someone to say, hopefully this year will be different than last year and all this sort of stuff when it's always been like last year every single time. And it's and it's not because anybody's bad or anything like that. It's what happens when you put 30-plus people under one roof for five hours and there's drinking and partying and watching football and, and all this sort of stuff. Someone's bound to rub somebody wrong. The, the problem is expecting them not to. and And so the way I always look at it this way because I find ways to – twist the program to my own benefit is that I, I think where the problem lies is what are we expecting going in? And just using that holiday example again is, you know, I, my, I love my family. Don't get me wrong. And, and I get along great with all of them, but families are crazy places. <laughs> so if I, if I go, if I go into Thanksgiving or Christmas uh, expecting non crazy, what are, what are the odds that I'm going to get what I want versus not get what I want? I go into my family settings as expecting crazy. And so if I get crazy, which I do many, many of the times, I go, okay. If I get crazy, I go, oh, wow. But you know the thing I never do? I never go, oh, no. (laughs) Because I think that's where most of us get stuck, and then we're twisting in the wind for the whole holiday.
1: Because we let ourselves be shocked again when it's something we know.
0: We're banging around in our own head all along. And and you can navigate these situations without getting drawn in, and you just have to learn how to do that. And that's that's the bigger thing in the program to me versus what brought me there, uh, and, and it has helped in that arena as well. But I, I like to think that I you know the last eight words of the twelfth step, and I am a 12 stepper, is to practice these principles in all my affairs, which means outside of this problem means everywhere, and, and it's changed my life everywhere too. It took a while and I had to be patient with it, but you know, I would say to people, if, if you're frustrated with the way things are, come into a room and listen. I think you'll be amazed at how much you have in common with people and that now you've got a safe place and people that don't judge, uh, that you can go in there and, and really kind of get your mind in order because it's the mind that's the problem. And, and I almost said, ask Mindy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you know, there's no masks in the room. That's what what I love about it. There's no mask. It's not like, um, and I know this is not the case always. I'm not trying to be all or nothing or, or be insulting, but I didn't find that in like church settings that there was often a mask and the people that would sometimes um, wave and be friendly to you were not you know, always nice or always real or whatever the case may be. But when you are meeting together in the rooms, really nobody has any reason to have a facade or any phoniness. And if you do, it tends to disappear pretty quick.
0: Well and, and, and I call that emotional sobriety. And that's where to me where we fit in the rooms as loving family members, as well as anybody that has a problem with alcohol or drugs. It's 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 a thinking, it's a brain disease. And you know, they joke in Al-Anon that they can't take the first drink, and I always say in, Al- in, in AA they say they can't take the first drink. I always say in Al-Anon you can't take the first think because that's usually <laughs> where the problem begins.
1: Right. <laughs> we know um, a therapist that always says your first thought wrong, or at least when you're extremely codependent or um, coming from dysfunction. And just as a side note, have you ever heard of the term peri-alcoholic?
0: How do you spell that?
1: Oh, gosh, I'm not sure. Um, maybe P A R I. It's where I read it, I think, in their big red book. It's where mm-hmm. when you live with an alcoholic or alcoholic behavior, you know, and I consider myself ACOA and all of that, um, you begin to mimic some of the behaviors because it is a disease and we're all connected and we're all affected.
0: Well, that almost sounds like the, um, what do they call that syndrome where, where uh, kidnapped people take on the. Uh, Stockholm. It's Stockholm Syndrome. It almost sounds like that to me.
2: <laughs> well, and you right. think, I think that we mirror, I know I did, you know, and I know that, that it just that's what makes it makes the whole situation, the family situation worse is if somebody screams at you, you scream back. You know, or I do. If <coughs> somebody screams at me, I'm gonna scream back. And I act I caught myself acting just as crazy as they did but I didn't have anything in my system. I was sober. Right. I was, I was emotionally drunk on, (laughs) on, um, you know, the desire to control, you know, and, and hating the situation that I was in and feeling sorry for myself and, you know, all that stuff.
1: You know, it's Mary Mary Pearl, that um, well-known Al-Anon speaker talks about how her husband had caused all of these problems in the family and she hated him for so many years and he caused so much pain, but she was the one who was not allowed in any of the bars in their town. She said, I would never drank a drop of alcohol in any of these bars, but I would go in and act so crazy. He could go in as much as he wanted to, but I was the one forbidden to enter the bars. And it just really paints a good picture of how we're all a part of it and we become as crazy or crazier.
2: Right, right. And I think for me it's like, you know, I spent so many years like um like demanding to God for God to explain to me why did I have to be in this situation? Oh, you know. <laughs> oh my, poor little me, I'm such a great person and yeah, you know, and uh why did I have to be in in this situation? Please God or please change it, you know, please change the situation. And little did I know I was exactly where I was supposed to be. Yeah. I acted just like them. I mirrored their, their um, behaviors. You know, I, you scream at me, I'm going to scream louder, you know. Um, lie and manipulate. And we don't think we do it, but we do it. Well, yeah, I was, I was really good at it mom. I was good at it. That's, that's how I lasted so long in that relationship. And I think for me, that was the whole thing that, that, um, when I decided to, to do the 12 steps the first time, it was like, oh my gosh, okay, now I really can't, I have to, can't keep acting crazy. It's going to interfere with what I'm trying to do here. Right. You know, so I had to kind of like make a choice. But uh, as I said, my higher power was faithful. And it was, you
1: just end up being right where you need to be. I've, I've, I know we've heard so many times people say, why didn't I discover this process or work on recovery years ago? And there is no regret for that because you're, it starts when you're ready.
2: Because every day you're getting ready that you're not in recovery and you're still in those relationships, you are getting ready.
1: Right, You're just, you you haven't had your awakening yet. And, and not every awakening is a lightning bolt jolt. Some of them are gradual. You
2: no, know, and we all struggle with, with a, uh, a higher power. We all, and there's no shame in that. And there's no shame in being, you know, it's like uh, you hear people in meetings say, you know, I know I'm fearful and I'm not supposed to be. There is, this is a program of suggestions. No one is going to say to you, you cannot be fearful. Right. But and Worse yet, if you are fearful, but you are too fearful to admit it because the peers or your people in your group yeah. judge you, then uh-uh, we're all sick. No, if you're fearful, it's okay. It's all right. That's where you're at right now. That doesn't mean you're always going to be there. God knows exactly where you're at. He is working something out in you. And for me, I think... When I realized if I can stay out of my loved one's business, which was really hard, and let God work out whatever He was trying to work out in their lives, that it works a lot better.
1: Yeah, and that is the hard part. That's the part that makes me, at least me personally, crazy and climbing the walls is when I can't stay out of the way. And I mean, that is truly the hardest part for a family member because you want this healed and fixed and and ending quickly. And you just lose your mind and you don't realize, at least not at first, that you're making it worse.
2: No, you can't see that because, and especially when it's it's parent-child, you know, you, basically, I don't know a lot of people who I mean, this has my, my, been my experience with my friends and people that I know. When you have children, you're not like just trying, kind of going along, doing you know, doing some things. Or you. you're giving it your all. These these young people are your life, especially nowadays. You know, uh, we're we're doing everything we can do to give them a, the best experience we can give them as, in a, their childhood. Uh, Trying not to make any mistakes. We're not able to see our mistakes that we're making. We're doing the best that we can do, you know. And And
1: that's part of it. What is it that you say, um, Bo? You always say, you got to give it one more idea.
0: Well, you got to, I think you got to give, what I tell people is, you you know, because everybody just wants to know, should I do this? Should I do that? Whether I know it's going to work or not isn't really relevant. We all have to do what our hearts tell us to do because I don't think the program gets a chance to really set itself in you until you run through all your great ideas. <laughs> uh, so I kind of tell people, go use up all your great ideas. I mean, and I don't mean that sound facetious or mean, but, you know, there is this, there's this going on in the mind, in the midst of all this, of what if I had done this, that or the other with her when she was in the third grade or sixth right. grade, This happened. that happened. And, and you can spin your wheels endlessly doing these sort of things. It's very self-punishing. And you know what? I'm not convinced that uh, I have that kind of power to influence even back then if I'd done something different. Who's to say it wouldn't have turned out exactly the same? And, and who's to say that the way it turned out isn't really good? Or Wait, how or it's going
1: to play out.
0: I, I think I've reached a point, though, where things in my life had to happen the way they happened simply for me to be the person I am today. And so if I'm okay with who and what I am today, what bad should I have to say about any particular aspect of my life? There might have been some painful moments, but I, I, I got a sneaking suspicion that my life has turned out as good as it could possibly turn out given the circumstances. And really it's got nothing to do with me except that I was willing to wake up, suit up, show up on time, you know, do, do the 12-step work eventually. But it took me 50 years to find it. You know, so, I mean, it's the question becomes one of once you discover a a better way, how long are you willing to give yourself for it to bear some fruit? I think that's the hard part for most. Yeah. We just want it to be over with now. We want improvement right now. Uh, I think you get improvement at a good clip, but it's never as fast as you want it. And, you know, I guess the question would be how badly do you want it? You know, and then are you willing to do what it takes to get it? And it's in, and the rooms make a promise about all of this. If we willingly surrender ourselves to the program, our lives will be transformed. And and when my life was transformed by this process, I, I look back and realize that all those things in my past had to be that way. And what that allowed to happen was like a complete release. Um, there's nothing wrong with my past anymore.
1: Right. And it, I think it takes like it's hard to come to that understanding that is a process of awakening that because you're going 100 miles an hour with your situation and then it has to slow down for things to turn around and improve. And it doesn't happen overnight, but the situation feels or seems and sometimes is so high intensity urgent.
0: Well, and, and you know, it's interesting you say that because keep in mind, too, that all of this is going on between our ears. Yep. <laughs> that's really the, 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 the crime scene, so to speak. And, and I think that what, what most of us run into, especially parents, it seems good. And that's only the one I know. I didn't ever have a problem with a spouse. Is that the limbic or fear driven parts of my brain are a lot faster than the stuff I'm trying to cultivate with this program? Yeah. Everything about this program meditation, contemplation, prayer, meetings is all kind of. Me cornerstoned on calming down. Yeah. You know, and not going about life like, like everything's got to be an ambulance with the lights on. And <laughs> right. so that takes a lot of training because, you know, if we're still alive today, our genes told us to run an awful lot. That's how we managed to survive the process and be here today. But when we get here, we need to find a way to, I think, to slow ourselves down
1: which is like great segue into the next topic of um, when things are stressful. And I know we're in a stressful time with quarantine and some, and everybody's different. Some people are really enjoying it. Some people are struggling. Some people are back and forth. And it's the same when you have um, an addicted family member. And I know in the early years of trying to sort through it all for me, I woke up every day and waited for what it was going to be that would set my hair on fire and get me Mm -hmm. climbing the walls that day, and I had to learn a process of regulating myself. So no matter what the stress is about, in all your affairs, whether it's a family member or the situation we're in or whatever, work anywhere, how do you apply your program to those extreme stress times?
0: First, you got to get to where you remember that you've had the training. And I, and I say that jokingly, but I say that with 100% truth, because in my experience, and you and I have known each other for some time, so we kind of know each other's stories, a lot of stuff, when we get wind of it, you're like instantly at 100 miles an hour. Yeah. You haven't, we haven't given our response side of it an opportunity to even open its eyes and say, hey, what do we got going on here? We're already into the fight or flight, whatever it is that we're going to do. And, and then how do you change gears? Once you're already locked into that, and I think that's where the time frame of coming back and going to meetings and training, follow, you know, watching your breath, so to speak, just to kind of lump everything together, and you and you just start to develop a trait, just like anything else. A, a person that's a good basketball player didn't just pick up a basketball for the first time and go out and be good. There was a lot of practice that went into it, and that's what a lot of us in, in our on our spiritual paths refer to when we say our practices that time is devoted to calming myself, uh communing with my higher power, uh and the discipline to do that on a day-to-day basis even that alone uh, has just changed a lot of aspects of my life it slows everything down. And it's interesting
1: and, that you like call it a practice a, a practice I think it it's a choice too and I remember in the early times not realizing I had a choice and I would have a family member kind of come at me and we would go into our typical family disease responses with each other and it would be a feud or whatever, you know, however it plays out according to your patterns and whatever. And I didn't realize I had a choice. And when I became friends with this therapist who kind of began to speak truth to me some years ago, I remember she would say, well, why do you handle it that way instead of this way? Or why do you put up with that instead of doing this? Or why don't you just not answer the calls? And I remember thinking, and I know we've heard another woman say in the room as well, you know, I'm a grown woman. This is really simple stuff. I didn't realize I had a choice. And it reminds me of the, the phrase you say pretty often about how close I want to get to the fire.
0: About the only, it's about the only choice I ever really had. Now, that's not to say that I didn't try to create a lot of choices and, and do a lot of different things, but that's part of what got me into the room was the constant repetition of approaches getting the same result and keep doing them over and over and over again, which we also define as being insane. <laughs> this is just as uh, Ruth uh, mentioned a moment ago, I wasn't even high. <laughs> you know what I mean? What's my excuse for that kind of behavior? I mean, my I, I would like to say that I was of... Um, What's the word they would use? I was, I was of, of, of uh, good sound mind, sound mind, yeah, you know. And and I was looking, I was going out to kill drug dealers, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: Not that I ever got that far, but it was one of my great ideas. Uh, well, it's
1: drunk like, on emotion, isn't that what you guys call it?
0: Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, it's just amazing how quickly you can get drawn up into that. And so, getting back to the original question, what the program has done has allowed you to find ways to slow down. So that while certain buttons may get pushed and I may flare for a moment, uh, I get excited for an hour or two and then I go, wait a second, Skip, you've, you've done this work before. You know what you're supposed to do. You've been trained and I have been. And I get back on the track. You know, it used to be something like that could take me down for weeks or a month, you know, get depressed or whatever it was over the way things were. Those things are not happening anymore. Now, it doesn't mean my life is a party because it's certainly not that either. But boy, I'll tell you, there's a lot more peace now. Yeah. That to me is totally invaluable. That's, and it doesn't, and you know what? It doesn't cost me a dime. Just got to decide I want a peaceful life and I can have it.
1: Peace, and as you said, quicker recovery time. Because I could be like set off by something or upset for weeks, and something could go on and on and on and on and take forever before I got the victory over it or just let it go and accepted it. And the program gets you there a lot quicker.
0: I, I think it does.
2: And I I think I would like to say about that sort of thing, like when there's when there's crisis or, you know, like what things that are going on now, is for me to practice the eleventh step. You know, to to remember to practice it, praying only for the knowledge of God's will for me and the power to carry that out, because for my understanding, of of the God of my understanding now is that whatever He allows, is ultimately for my good. You know, it, it may not yeah. be comfortable, I may not like it, um, but not to fall into that thing that I do that where I, you know, I go, oh, please change this, make this go away, or okay, now explain to me, why did this happen? Where did I turn left and I should have turned right? But just to remember that wherever, whatever is going on, crisis or whatever, that, it, that it's allowed to happen for a good reason. And it's, and just to like, as it's been said, to just breathe and wait and, and, and most of all, surrender and trust. You know, that's what, what it, the program has done for me. It's, it's enabled me to stay with the process long enough to let that trust, that surrender take over in my life.
1: You know, I know not every everybody has a right to their different higher power, or whatever, but for me, I you know apply the same type of faith. And I know I ask those same questions or you know, want God to kind of hurry me through a situation because he's always who, in my experience, I turn it into what no matter what's going on, that's my secret place. That's kind of like a courtyard I go to in my mind to hash it all out. And one of the questions I always ask in crisis, you know, immediately when is this going to end? But then I've had to stabilize and come back to a grounded way of thinking to where if it was even allowed to come near me, because of the way I want to believe that you know my higher power, my God is so loving and so active and present and attentive and in motion. If it was even allowed to come near me, just as I would not allow something to come near my own child, then it's going to have some good come out of it.
2: Yes, absolutely. Not only was it allowed, but it was engineered for us,
1: right? And that's the next step. So that <laughs> that took a second to get there too. But that once you start living by that, it gives you a whole lot more freedom and I think courage and confidence. You have a lot more optimism and positive regard for your circumstances, no matter how bitter or how much you despise them. It's not over yet. And the outcome is always going to be in your favor.
2: And if we're in it, we do have the ability. We can, and we can go through it. He wouldn't put us in a situation that we were not equipped to go through. He knows us more than we know. And if, you know, he'll even put people, But in my experience, he has put people around me personally. who could see things about me that I couldn't see. You know, uh, they just people would uh, people to help me to have a different perspective. Right, I just didn't have the tools to see it from that perspective. Right, the people around me to support me was I believe it was the hand of uh, of the God of my understanding.
1: I believe that as well, doing for you what you can't do for yourself and what we can't even do for one another, because ultimately it has to be that bigger picture engineer for our own good.
0: Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, and and I think that's an important thing to remember about the program is that you know, I I think we have to try to get beyond the reason we got here type of type of thing. In other words, I know why I came into the rooms. But why I continue to go back to the rooms now has nothing to do anymore with why I came into the rooms. I go back to the rooms now, number one, because I want to cheer other people on because I think it's important that people try to find their peace. I want to be there to encourage them and share experience, strength, and hope. But I, I, my, my honest opinion is that there's nobody on this planet that wouldn't benefit from walking into a room. But until you realize why you need to do that, there's nothing to be had in there, if you know what I mean.
1: Um, yeah, and I, I think it's it's awesome that you mentioned, like, still coming for a different reason. One of my favorite things is watching the transformation of somebody, you know, not everybody comes in with the weight of the world on their shoulders, but it happens pretty often where someone has just been getting beat to death with this problem, and we know how much drama and, you know, it's horrifying to go through it. And when they finally find their way to the rooms, they come in with a look, and I think, Ruth has said before, she went into a building before and they asked her if she was headed to the Al-Anon or Naranon because she kind of had that look and then ended up finding the room. But I think it's so awesome how over time you'll start to see light come in and they're able to breathe a little more from week to week. And then the next thing you know, they've been to a few meetings. It usually takes five or six before it starts to click and make sense Somebody new comes in and you see that first person encouraging them. And that's kind of how the process works. And that has been my favorite thing to watch.
0: And there, are, and there are those of us that have had even harder heads than that. But if we, I, I believe that the rooms make that promise. If I keep coming back, the, the promise is serenity and peace. And that's what I want. And whatever I got to do to get it is what I'm going to do. And once I get it, I'm not going to let anybody take it away from me. You know, I've worked really hard over the years developing my program and and it does require practice, it requires discipline um just so you don't forget these things because, as you alluded to a moment ago the 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 scared side of us is a lot faster, the limbic aspects of our thinking are a lot faster, than it takes training, I think, to uh deal with those things and letting instead of letting them deal with you
1: right. And it does take time. And then you start to notice things improve and they improve in every area. Um, Mm -hmm. I've improved professionally and financially in areas, you know, because I apply the program and calm down and make better decisions. And in areas of, you know, family relationships and how I respond to things, it really, every area of life begins to improve. I don't know how it works. I just know that it does.
0: Well, I, th- I think what it, what it comes down to, and it's funny because uh, Ruth and I were talking about this earlier, is um, I do have a higher power. I call mine God, uh, I, I think. And, and I and I wouldn't say that I was a real religious person coming in the program. I've always said I was searching for something. I don't know what it was, or even I'm not so sure I know what it is today, except I know I'm following a path that, it, based on what I know right now, is my best option to get to that end, whatever it is. And it's peace and serenity. And right. um, I, I, can, uh, I can struggle mightily. I mean, I don't think there's anything magical in the 12 steps, except that somebody's already done the work, so why repeat it? You know, I, I, There's probably other ways to go about it, but here's a way that we know works. And, right. and 50 years of my best thinking to get me into a room in the first place, so how much time am I willing to invest to try to have a better thought process, if, if you will? And it's taken me some time, and that's okay.
1: And that's okay. But
0: if, but if, if I don't have a, a loved one that suffers from this, I'm not here talking to you today. I'm not married to this beautiful woman next to me. There are so many great things in my life that would not have happened if my loved one doesn't do what my loved one does. And I was a very unhappy camper about it at the beginning, but I now have had my, as far as it relates to that, my aha moment. And, uh, and knowing that... As things come toward me uh, i I have faith that they're going to turn out okay you know there's a there's there's this whole thing of wanting to wanting to find our higher power and so uh, what I realize in looking back is i've seen my higher power walking away uh, but i've never seen him coming to me, but I know he has to have been coming to me or he wouldn't be walking away because so there's it,
1: fingerprints on everything
0: Yeah, it, it proves a couple of points and then i if there, if I believe in a higher power and all that that entails, then what do I really have to worry about? Right. You know, and what yet, you,
1: whatever you come up with.
0: Well, <laughs> yeah, but you know what? In, in the, you know, it's it's just like this whole seeking process. Um, whether it's us seeking outside ourselves, kind of implies that you're not whole within. And I do believe that everything in creation is whole, uh, and I and I don't believe that uh, our higher power makes junk. So I, I, I've got to believe it's not—it's not what we're seeing; it's how we're seeing what we're seeing—that seems to be the problem. Um, my higher power has only done good things for me. I just didn't happen to like a lot of them when they happened.
1: You know, <laughs> heard that,
0: and that's—that's kind of how you can kind of look at those things. But you know, that—that that one, the one who knew my face before my mother, you know, I put a lot of trust in that.
1: Right. And that takes time too, but that is that for me has been what stabilized my life as well. Mm-hmm. So then, moving from strange and the stressful, and this can apply in in different ways. I like to go with themes. Um, we are all in a time of separation right now, but this time's going to pass. But we deal with that, you know, in these situations where maybe you've got an addicted son or daughter or other loved one and they go missing and off the grid for a while. And then everything in you rises up with fear, or maybe it's not drug or alcohol related, but you have a feud that causes separation or whatever the case may be feeling isolated and separated. How do you apply the program to that? And do you have any experience, strength or hope?
0: Well, you know, the first, the first three steps are, are, I came to believe, um, I, I excuse me, I admitted I had a, a problem with uh well in our case it's with an addict and that my life had become unmanageable. The second step is that I came to believe there was a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity if I would but let him. And the third is made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of that higher power. So in the process of doing that, if I'm doing that successfully, and, and there's no and there <laughs> there's no take backs.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Then, then I've got to be willing to let go at that point and say, you know what, God, I've tried to work this out every way I know how, and it's blown up on me every single time, help. And then be willing to let go and let, let, um, let the higher power do his thing, her thing, you know
1: what about those times when maybe you have separation? Like it hasn't happened in a while. Well, I did have a bit of a conflict with my son over the, in the fall. And I've talked about it in the meetings that we had an argument that was really small and petty, but we didn't talk for a few weeks and I was so frustrated and I would kind of vent about it in the rooms. But then afterwards, um, his dad had passed away. And during that time that he and I weren't talking, they had these wonderful conversations and we sending each other jokes and pictures and memories. So on the other side of it, We always say, you know, judgment's not just about judging people. It's also judging situations as good or bad. That situation that seemed terrible ended up being something I'm so grateful for. So that said, when you're in it, in the middle of it, and there's, you know, separation or worry or somebody's just not getting it, how do you, you know, a lot of moms deal with this as well. How do you deal with the emotion of it, either of you? I mean, if you have a child go off the charts or somebody you're in conflict with that's just being unreasonable, you can't come back together and make it peaceful again. And maybe there's a span of complete silence. How do you deal with the situation, but with how it feels?
2: This is what um, we talked about earlier today. It's, it's by really truly, um, like no matter what goes on around us, by, by uh, surrendering the fact that this is a, a spiritual, emotional, and then will become a physical disease because your body can only, your emotions can drive your body into, you know, all kinds of health problems. So, um, by spiritually surrendering to what is, you know, you don't, and keeping our eyes there, you know, by doing what we know to do, like, uh, it was talked about with breathing and just um, doing what we know to be the next right thing. Just do the next right thing, you know, slow your breathing. Uh, remember that your higher power, God, I'll say God, God has allowed you has not only allowed you to be in this time of separation from this person, but has engineered this for, for a reason. Just like in your situation, your son uh, didn't have that kind of relationship with his father until he didn't, you know, he, you guys had that space of separation.
1: Well, they had a decent relationship, but they didn't have one, like they weren't estranged. They didn't have one where they talked every day and shared as much. I was more that person. But he well, shifted into that so that my son was able to have that just before he died. And I know that was a God thing
2: absolutely was God doing, doing for you and for him, what he, what couldn't have been done any other way. And for me with my, when uh, I divorced, when I divorced the uh, father of my kids, you know, I could not tell them, I mean, I just would, eventually I just would not say anything negative about him because I realized that it it harmed them more than it harmed him. Yes, It, it does. It took on, those bad feelings when I would try to tell them, you know, like, stay away from your dad. He's this, this, and this. So there was a time when I was first divorced from him that our relationship, my relationship with both of my kids sort of went, you know, we were set, we were in a time of not communicating, not being in touch as much. And, and uh, I, me just not trying to say anything. So that time allowed them to have, I had to allow them to have any kind of relationship with him that they wanted to have. They have a right. And that, you know, it's astonishing to me as their mom <laughs> that they have a right, to have any kind of relationship with their father that they wanted to have. And also you know? with you and with me, right. but for me to keep my yap shut, <laughs> you know, and not tell them, you know, don't do that because you know what he is, you know, and yeah. just, um, so to let them have their relationship with him and to see him warts and all. Right. you know, because guess what? They saw me warts and all, you know, but I couldn't see my warts. I didn't think I had any, but <laughs> see, to see him, you know, as a, an adult, they were adults then and he, you know, just as they had a right to do that and that didn't make, they still loved him. You know, they just had a more realistic, it wasn't all that they weren't being pulled in two different directions by two screaming meanies. No,
1: that's right. And you don't make anything better. And honestly, I've always had the belief that your child half identifies as each parent. So why would I want to tear down any part of my child's identity and affect their confidence? So that's really what you're ultimately doing. It might feel good to vent or make somebody look bad or make yourself look better. But in the bigger picture, you're doing great damage.
2: You're harming the person that you wish to build up. That's
1: right. That's right. And my son's had some recovery momentum himself these last seven or eight years. And when his dad passed away, one of the things he said was, you were exactly who I needed you to be. And I was so moved by that because I knew there had been conflict and disappointments. You know, and there was a lot of awesome things too um, as well just a blend like all of us. But for my son to see that, that I would change nothing. You were exactly who I needed you to be. I thought that was such a beautiful, like that just spoke recovery to me. I really made an effort to never say anything negative about his dad. We had a really jovial friendship. And sometimes people would criticize me because there'd been a lot of pain between us. And they would say, how do you build him up so much? Or you have his back, you know, with your son. And sometimes you don't tell the whole story of things or defend yourself. And that was just a decision I made early on that I was going to elevate and magnify the good things and just keep the bad stuff to myself because there is with everyone, but we had a lot of struggles and a lot of disappointment and stuff. So for my son, you know, he knew that disappointment too, and had experienced it for him to include all of that and say, I would change nothing about you. That's that picture of how, what we go through, what happens to us and how we are with one another. It's a tapestry and it's all got purpose. Yes, indeed. It really does. So, um, moving through from that, do you have any tips for anybody who's maybe dealing with something strange or stressful or a separation that would be a practice, you know, along with our program of steps you can take to find daily serenity? What are your practices?
0: No. I have a time in the morning when I like to sit and meditate, maybe read. Um, meditation especially, because that's where I've slowed myself down the most. It's, it's it's interesting because I'm reading a book on meditation right now, and it, it makes a comment, just like any other discipline, practice makes perfect. And um, I think the problem, too, is that when people sit to meditate there's so much turmoil going on in their minds that they can't settle themselves enough to do that. Uh, it takes a bit of patience. You know, like I said, I walked into the rooms having mastered all my bad habits at the age of 50. How much am I willing to invest in, or in other, in, in, in an effort to change those behaviors. And, and I wish I could tell you I did it in a week. Uh, but these things are, are, you know, you know, these kind of behaviors are built in so deeply um, that you go through this process, it's re you know, it's, it's yeah, changing.
1: Re-grooving. That's what you. I've heard you say before. That's really good.
0: It's changing the way I think. And it's, what's amazing is that, um, if you change the way you, you think, things that you're looking at change too. Right. And, and it's all just a matter, it is more a matter of attitude than, than anything else. And I, I think it's very difficult when, uh, I think most problems that most of us have, whether it's a family member or the act, is really what we think of ourselves. I think that's what drives a lot of interesting behaviors, including addiction, Um, is that we're in some sort of pain and this is my method that I choose to quell the pain. And uh, I, I think when you start to look at things like that, some people use drugs, some people use alcohol, some people do shopping, some people use sex, I mean, you can you can abuse and become addicted to just about anything a human being does. You know, and so it's it's I I think the real process gets back to the idea of waking up in the first place. And then once I wake up, don't go back to sleep. And I think I think 95 I've read somewhere 95 percent of the world operates on automatic.
1: Yes, I believe that.
0: I've just chosen not to go through my life on automatic anymore.
1: I think one of the the most powerful things that you come to um, awaken to is introspection when you enter the rooms because it's hard to look at your part in something when you're so affected and according to maybe the standards you've lived by for years your behavior isn't wrong somebody else's is, is if they would just stop but we don't understand that we have a part in it too and over time you awaken to that and realize you're your own worst problem and for me That introspection piece has been the most powerful, whether it's been within me or watching others come to it that maybe had zero self-awareness before. in, In the program, I think it's so powerful. It bleeds out to those in relationship with me to where I hear them kind of speak the language of introspection as well, and they haven't entered a room. So that's, for me, looking at your own part in things is the big missing piece that sometimes we don't get until we enter a program.
0: Well, you know, and it's interesting because you use the word part and I like that word. The problem I have with that word is that the most common response to when people talk in the rooms, for example, and they talk about figuring out what our part is, most people infer that to mean blame. So so right. the, way, the way I've tried to look at this is that if something is going on and it's touching your life, and these, that's what we're talking about here, uh, then then there is a part in there for you, but it's not about who's responsible, guilty for the circumstance. The fact is that it's touching your life. There is something, and I would argue most of the time, something very positive, uh, that in that, whatever that is, uh, that is there for you, and you've got to figure out what it is. And um, I I think when you get through looking at stuff, you realize that, wow, um, I I think if I had to do this all over again, I'm not so sure I would change anything. And know that most of us have come into the rooms, that's the furthest possible outcome that we would ever want to talk about. And then I
1: think it goes even deeper into our pathology because I started realizing a lot of my behaviors were to make myself feel safe and healthy. That was my motive. So that if my son felt, seemed to be safe and healthy and that was working out or conflict with my mom was, you know, at this point or not, I was safe and healthy. So it was all pathological and it all went back to about the age of six years old.
0: Well, and I, and I think that's, yeah. I think when you start looking at the greater work, say your life from the beginning to where you are right now, and you can look at a bigger picture, you start to see things a little bit differently. And while I may not have been comfortable with everything that's happened in my life, I can say that I can see where everything that happened in my life was designed to bring me where I am today. And how do I know that? Well, here I am. And if I'm at peace and content, with who and what I am, then that's how my life just had to be. And I can rail about it all I want to. I mean, my dad was too young when he died. Okay. So what, you know, that, that, that was something that happened in my life. It was a life changer of an experience, but I would argue I'm a better person today because of it, even though it was a horribly tragic experience when it happened. And and I think being able to see that allows me to look forward and realize that there may be more painful times in my life I would like to hope not but you know what uh, whatever it takes but I know that if there is some pain there's going to be some gain not that I meant to rhyme like that uh, but <laughs> there, there will be some gain in it uh, when all is said and done and usually it has to do with growing up and being more mature and I and I signed up for that I I wanted I wanted to live a more mature life and so this is what I'm doing and this is what my higher power put me into I asked for it you know, that's why I always jokingly say, be careful what you ask for. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You'll get it. It's just going to look different than you expect.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's the, the point I make there when it comes to family members is everybody wants to get well and look good at the same time. And and unfortunately, getting well can be a little sloppy at times. And that's OK. You know, but you're not going to look good and get well. Uh, rarely are you going to be able to make it work like that. I wish I, wish I could have found a way.
1: <laughs> right. You know, um, Ruth mentioned earlier doing the next right thing. Some of the um, we don't give advice in the rooms other than to keep coming back. Um, but somebody made a suggestion to me when I was in a time of turmoil. You know whether you know and, and it could pr- it could parlay into what we're all dealing with now and how things change and are uncertain from day to day. Was to do the next right thing for the next 15 minutes over and over again. Just over and over again, and then maybe for an hour, and then before you know it, you're getting through it. And I remember saying, Well, how do I know what the next right thing is? Well, maybe it's throw in a load of laundry, return a phone call, sit down for a minute. It'll just kind of unfold as you go. And it taught me to live in the presence. And I had written in my first book that my favorite word was equanimity, which means peace in the midst of turmoil. I'd heard a monk describe it as trying to read or do yoga while somebody's managing a jackhammer loudly outside your window and maintaining that self-control and calm. And I think that's just kind of our process.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what I think? I think the other thing that, that you allude to that I think is very important is, is that people think that the, what I refer to as the mundane things that go on in life are not important. Well, if they're in life, they are important. That's what our higher power put them there for. Uh, that, Like I jokingly say, if you're grocery shopping, grocery shop. Chop wood,
1: carry
0: water. Have you heard exactly. of that? Cut the grass, cut the grass. The <laughs> assumption that this is just some, some little uh, uh, chore I've got to get done that I really don't want to do. I'm missing the point. So I, I think there's, you know, life isn't filled with those, those magical moments, although I will argue that miracles are kind of to be expected. I think life itself is a miracle. But it's, it's, everything isn't about um, the instant of awakening it's about being awake all the time. And that means for the mundane day-to-day experiences, as well as uh, whatever you want to call the other end of that continuum, the highest possible outcome you could think of, you know, and all all these things serve a purpose and are important in our lives.
1: That's right. And for me personally, serenity, I use a word combo of peace and sanity. And whenever I feel myself losing either one, My peace or my sanity and I'm ramping up with something, I know something needs to be looked at. And it's not so much about him or her or them. It's about the inner work I need to do. So I try to return to, okay, why have I lost some sanity? Why have I lost my peace? And that's when I return to serenity. And I have to sometimes get in that toolbox and try a couple of things. Call a sponsor, phone a friend, take a walk, call a counselor, breathe, hold an ice cube in my hand until I feel myself calm down. Whatever it takes, and usually it involves kind of stepping it out in some way. I like the steps as well. Um, that for me is the path of serenity.
0: Well, and that was that was an exercise I was taught years ago, how to how to step a problem out in five to 10 minutes. And it is taking a problem and just running it through the steps. Um, yeah. And, and, it, and it's there all the time.
1: It's there all the time. And that for me, is the solution so with that said I can't thank you guys enough this is what I get from you each week in some way no matter what's going on in life no matter what season it's been no matter the weather coming together in some way this is pretty much what we find in the rooms and why life does tend to improve so thank you both and keep coming back
0: same to you talk to you soon Annie all right bye-bye You have been listening to The Unhooked Podcast. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode by the guests belong solely to the guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the host or any affiliated organization or institution annie's books unhooked and unbroken can be found in amazon cokesbury barnes and and wherever books are sold you can find her work by searching annie highwater on facebook if you have enjoyed the unhooked podcast please share subscribe and leave a five-star review we hope you'll keep coming back to listen to the unhooked podcast